Time for David Locke's weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. And David joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state of the art smart irrigation controller helps with first class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877 346 3333. David, good morning. Well, David James, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> Patrick Kimahan. Yeah. Live from Las Vegas. Why did Bronco step down? You know, I was thinking about that. My question would be, why don't more guys do this? Because this job is so all-consuming. And how do they last as long as some of them do? You know, there's been a lot of rumors with Kyle. When's he going to retire? He addressed uh, this past week that he's having more fun than ever. So that would lead us to believe that he's going to be back next season. I don't think he's in it for the long term. But when I was thinking about Bronco, and I talked to some people last night because I was bored here in Vegas, and it did come as a surprise. But at the same time, they're talking about, well, Bronco's a different bird, right? We know that. We know he does things. He certainly speaks differently. And so they're initially surprised at that. But then when they look back and they they have time to reflect, they sort of think to themselves, well, you know, this job is just – it just consumes you. And right. how long do you want to do it? Particularly if you've got the financial situation where you don't necessarily need work, you don't need the paycheck coming in, and you can live a, a fair amount of time without money coming in, that why wouldn't you do that? That's some of the response I got back. Why wouldn't you do that? Because this job can really eat you alive and consume you. So the answer of why you wouldn't is because of the thrill of Saturday, right? And maybe, you know, hopefully sure, for most yeah. of these coaches, it's the thrill of, it's actually the thrill of Tuesday through, you know, late Friday night as much as it is the thrill of Saturday. It's the preparation and finding that little thing and finding that nugget that's going to help your guys win. You know, that there's probably, you know, it's pretty hard to replicate in anything else in life. I've always felt, and I've said this before, when Bronco was in town, one of my disappointments as a reporter was I never kind of broke through to get the sit down because I really think, and you know him better than I do, there, there's a unique different layer to him. You know, whether it's him on his longboard or his surfboard or they're just as, and Kyle has it a little bit too with his mountain biking and his skiing and it's kind of, you know, not getting wowed by the Tennessee jet and all the stories. I've always thought there's a different level. Like Bronco had a little more depth to him, um, and I've you know the, I'd be curious to talk to people in Virginia. The, you know the story we always had was that the guy who came from New Mexico was one guy, and then he adapted and played chameleon to fit the role of the BYU head coach to, and what the church requested out of that, and and became a different person. And I wonder if he how he might have changed at Virginia to fit that mold. And so maybe he is really well prepared to whatever the next step in life is, which is just enjoying yourself. I don't know, but it's. Um, yeah, I agree. He always has seemed to be a little more grounded than a lot of other people. And we've talked about this on the show before. I do sometimes also wonder if that's not the legacy of Lavelle, right? That Lavelle was definitely more grounded than anyone else. Um, and I, I do wonder if there's still just a, a lasting legacy of what Lavelle left for these for these future coaches in an understanding of, you know, what's our, we always talk about the, the voicemail was still, hey, Patty and I aren't available right now. Like there's some, there was something to him. I think uh, Bronco hinted at, didn't completely say it, but hinted enough that some combination of uh, what the pandemic required out of coaches, which was a lot, especially in the early days, maybe a little less now, but in the early days it was a lot. Uh, The pandemic, uh, name, image, and likeness 
is not something he's going to like dealing with and getting kids more money. And the transfer portal and the lack of loyalty that can you know be perceived there, whether that's fair or not, I think all of those things uh, were things that helped push him out the door. To what degree we can debate, I don't think we know for sure, but I think they all helped push him out the door. So I have a, if I could build off, this isn't my forte. You guys know this better than I do, but if I could give one or two other thoughts here. So in regards to Kyle, you know, it makes all the sense in the world for him to wrap it at this point, particularly with what he went through with the tragedies in the team the last two years. It also might be the exact reason why he doesn't, right, in the sense that it's hard for him to sit here and figure out what is exhaustion and what is the pandemic and what is the tragedies that the program's been through. And so how do you, you know, when if, if if Kyle steps away, it, that's it, right? Like, you know, he's he's not one who's going to go try to hunt down the next job in some other city after walking away. So you better be 100% certain you're right. Um, and I wonder if there's just too much outside influence for him to make that decision right now. The On the name, image, and likeness thing, there is nothing that college football has been more fortunate to have than name, image, image likeness. With coaches leaving teams high and dry before the playoffs and taking $100 million contracts. If the players weren't getting something right now, we'd have a full-out revolt. Like, I would say if I'm Notre Dame and I was in the playoffs and Brian Kelly just left for $100 million and I'm not getting anything, I just wouldn't come out of the tunnel. National television, whole deal, I just wouldn't come out of the tunnel. The name image likeness that's going on right now and the transfer portal, giving the players some power, is the only thing actually saving college sports right now. I've heard the don't come out of the tunnel argument, and I get that that's a powerful message and that's you exercising your power if you're a college football player, but it'd be really hard to lift weights forever, dream of playing in that game forever, run forever, watch all that film, yeah. and then just stand there and not Changing come out. the world's hard. Oh, man. Yeah, some team maybe could have done it. But they do have name, image, and likeness, and they do have the transfer portal, and they do have NFL dreams. So they're going to pursue those and just yeah, bite the their dreams, lip. Though, wouldn't change, by the way. The not coming out of the tunnel is going to be harder for the 40th guy in the roster than the first. He's still going to the NFL. Yeah, that's true. All right, we got to talk some jazz while we got you here, David, and we're already halfway through your segment. So. Sorry. I'm watching the really jazz. Good. Yeah, I'm watching the jazz and and the losses piling up. And by losses piling up, I mean in relation to the Suns and Warriors, not in relation to everybody else in the West. And I just watching them play. Is there a little bit of um, boredom's probably too strong a word? Lack of an edge. Um, it's so far to the playoffs in the biggest games, and they want to prove themselves in the playoffs in the biggest games, and they aren't quite summoning their best effort, and that's a problem. Is that as big a problem as what's going on now as, as anything when we look at how come the Jazz have dropped three or four games behind those two teams? Well, all right, so there's a lot there. One, you know, I don't think the Jazz have played great. I would also point out that, you know, if it weren't for just two very strange reviews, they'd won nine straight, right? Theoretically, sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they did some things to allow it once those reviews were funky to go the wrong way, and they're responsible for that. But there is a feeling, you know, I think that's worth noting. Um, you know, Donovan wasn't great there for a week, and that 
your best player taking using 22 possessions a night, not playing great, is going to make you probably look a little less good. Um, you know, I just think the misnomer was that we would pick up running from where we left off last regular season. I just don't. I'm not a believer in that in any way. I just, you know, Phoenix did, and it's wildly impressive. Or Phoenix is actually better and they've built and I, I I'm not surprised by Phoenix in the slightest. I had them considerably ahead of the rest of the Western conference in my preseason predictions. Um, they have four players who are all going to get better. Um, they had the playoff experience. I'm not, I'm not actually, I mean, winning 17 in a row is stunning, but I'm not surprised. By them. I'm a little surprised by golden state, but a little less surprised now that I see who they're playing. You know, I had them playing three youngsters, which had me making them lose in Wiseman, Kamunga and Moody. And there's, you know, either due to injury or, system they're not playing those guys so that makes you a lot better team to not play your young players um but i'm not um you know the jazz haven't been great i think the next month is super interesting because we play a ton of really really good defensive teams and so right now the offense is historically great three points better than anyone else in the league it's um you know and it doesn't even feel like it's that good but the there's only been you know the last war, the Warrior team that won 73 games is the last team to have an offense this far above average. Um, but we play Boston as the fourth best offense, Cleveland as the fifth, Minnesota who's the seventh, Philadelphia is the fifteenth, but way better than that because Embiid missed a bunch of games. Washington is the tenth, and the Clippers who are the third, the Spurs who are the fourteenth, and the Wizards again are the tenth. So every game we play between now and December 10th is a top ten defense, and. I think that'll be a really telling sign of how we come through this next stretch on the offensive side of whether or not this team is is as good as we think it is. I don't know the answer to this, so I'm not advocating it, but I'm wondering. I didn't know the answer to DJ's last question, so we're even. Good. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure where you stand on this particular subject, so I'll throw it out there and we'll get your response. Joe Ingles starting. Uh, That's a good one. Let me guess. Let's do it. I guess, right? Yes. You know why? Because I was the, the what, well, What's the best usage of Joe, rather, as opposed to starting or not? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. So I'm it's not, not saying starting. they should or and shouldn't do this. It's not starting. But here's, and here's the primary reason why. Um, and that is he'd have to guard Jason Tatum tonight. And then he'd have to guard Laurie Markin. not that big a deal, but he's seven feet tall. And then he's guarding Anthony Edwards. And then he's guarding Tobias Harris. And then he's guarding maybe Bradley Beal. And then he's guarding Paul George. Like, and then he's exhausted at 33 years old. So the correct way to use Joe Ingles is that Royce O'Neal does the dirty work that we're talking about um, and plays, you know, and his value is incredible to guard the number one option for 30 minutes a night. And the there's no question that... Joe Ingles on the floor instead of Royce O'Neal offensively. The defenders are a step closer to Joe than they are to Royce, and it opens up everything uh, a little bit more. Royce shoots the three well, but he also gets the most open looks of, over the last two years of anyone in the league. Um, so, yeah, Joe opens up the offense for everybody else a little bit more. What I think we learned in the last two games is that is that, that lineup is viable um, because that actually was the lineup that we all thought was going to be the death lineup version for the when the Warriors had their lineup nobody could guard. And if you recall, two years ago, it was a disaster and didn't work at all. And so they've really stayed away from that lineup 
for most of the last two years. And I think the, what they picked up was that maybe for whatever reason, this iteration of the game or the jazz, this lineup is, is worth it. Like it, you know, um, and it, and that it works. And so, um, I think that's a, that's a vastly different, um, kind of weapon that they haven't had. They haven't been willing to go to that lineup. I don't, you know, I don't know how you get to it very often, um, but the best way to use Joe is, I think actually as a spot up shooter, he wants to play with the ball in his hands. He played with the ball in his hands very well, but he, you know, he, he's a great spot up shooter and he needs to get out and run and be in front of the offense. The way Boyan is Boyan uses 25% of his possessions in transition. The more I've got Joe sprinting the floor to the corner, open early, maybe even to the high quadrant. He's the second best shooter in the NBA in the first eight seconds of the shot clock over the last three years. Like, get out and run. Don't go back for the ball. Get out and run. Then, if whoever brought the ball up the floor doesn't have something, you want to use him as a secondary pick-and-roll player, that's great because he's good at that. But I want him out running, and I want him out in front, and I want him shooting that three early in the shot clock. Are they running less this year? My eyes deceive me. Do the numbers match what I think I'm seeing? They're running the exact same. Okay. Do you want me to geek out with you and give you those numbers? Or no, I trust you. I trust you. Okay. I won't remember the numbers anyway. So. 13 possessions in the first six seconds of the shot clock this year. Um, same amount as last year. They're the number one team in the league in those possessions. Um, and it ranks 17th in the NBA, so it's a little below average. Um, but they are, and they're the number one team in the league in those shots. But I think last year they were taking either 13 or 14 shots in the first six. Uh, last year they were taking 13 as well. And they were 18th in shots in possession. This year they're 17th. Exact thing. Come on. Talk about them not. Come on, wait a second. I need what? a little from you. I've known you for 25 years. Like, Give him just had that. He needs it. I need a little love. I just had that. Right there. Slow clap. There you go. Okay, Everybody's you. doing the brand new dance now. Come on, thank you. Baby. That's what I needed. I needed a song. Slow clap. <laughs> Slow clap from DJ. A song from PK. My world's fulfilled. I'm there good. Just a little snow would help you. And James. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's our studio audience there applauding. <laughs> All the people who get up to watch us early in the morning. <laughs> That's boring. <laughs> you say that you, you weren't sure, you didn't think, you didn't expect the team to get off to, to continue where they did off of last year. I thought they did. I thought they got off to a great start. I consider their start exceptional. And then they got a little bit of a lull, which, if I look at it from that perspective, doesn't really surprise me. Okay, you got a little bit of a lull. Whoop de do. It was going to happen. It's going to happen. So I thought they got off to the great start, and then they had the lull. So, and I just assume they have the lull now. Get it out of the way. It's like a, a couple of weeks ago. I had uh, my yearly sickness, and I'm hoping that that's it. Usually, I get sick once a year, and I had it, and I was down for a couple of weeks, and now I'm thinking, all right, hopefully, knock on wood, that I should be good the rest of the year. Is that a, is a fair assessment? I didn't think they started great. Um. So I didn't. Well, they were like seven and one or something, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, but um, lost to Chicago. Chicago. Maybe not their own fault, but um, so lost to Chicago, which was fine. Chicago's good, but the Milwaukee win was pretty uninspiring because they're missing four of their five starters, right? 
Um, yes, yes. You know, beat Atlanta, who was a mascot, lost to Miami, lost to Orlando. We, I mean, we weren't nine and one, so. Um, yeah, I just didn't. I just don't think we played like. I think it's incredible. We're what fifteen and seven or whatever we are. I just don't think we've really like. There's little signs of it. Like there's little tiny signs of what all the things they're working on coming together. Could be who they play, but one note of interest is that over the last five games, Rudy Gobert suddenly contesting three more shots a game than he was in the first 15 games of the year. That's a really big number, and that's everything they're trying to do is when everyone comes in every night and tries to move Rudy away from the ball, they're trying to get Rudy back to the ball. Um, for the first time, we had a head coach the other day in Chauncey Billups, like openly admit it. Like for what all you do, they still bring Rudy back to the middle every play. And, you know, we've had coaches – you know, I think what I've noticed more than anything this year, and this is actually what makes what Phoenix is doing so impressive, is I just feel like teams are wildly well prepared for the Jazz this year. Like, it's clear that the league studied the Jazz in the offseason. Rightfully so. They went 52 and 20. That's what happens. You know, they studied the box, and the box kind of last year, and the box kind of had a similar start to their season as this. Um, and they, you know, they studied the Jazz. It's why it's abundantly clear to me that this team has been studied and prepared. And I think it's great because the goal here is to be ready in Game 70, 75, and eighty, much more than being ready in Game twenty three. This is a great six games. This December month is a great test for can the defense dominate bad offensive teams, and can the offense perform against high level defensive teams? That's kind of the story of December, uh, and I think that'll be. You know, they're playing really, really good defensive teams that are all different. Boston switches more than any team in the NBA. Cleveland has three seven-footers. Like, oh, wow, that's like that's going to be really weird for us. We're small. Um, and Cleveland runs a ton out of that, which is even more kind of unique. Um, so I think it's just a, every night's a test, and these teams are well-prepared. And if you actually look at our losses um, for a while there, you know, so Chicago's Billy Donovan, who's played a playoff series against us. Miami's Eric Spolster, the biggest film guy in the world. Orlando's Jamal Mosley, who was Dallas's number one assistant and had the Jazz scout in the, for the playoffs. Indiana's Rick Carlisle, who was at Dallas getting ready to play the Jazz in the second round of the playoffs. Like He suddenly ran through our losses. Memphis, who played us in the playoffs last year. You know, They were all teams that had an extra level of scouting to prepare for us for a regular season game than you, than you would naturally have. All right, David, as always, we appreciate it. A two-part interview, half college football, half jazz and NBA. Well, well done. I mean, if I'm going to come on your show, I should interview you for the first part because I have the luxury of having access to two of the you know, the best ever. Flattery will get you everywhere, David. It should. <laughs> it often does. PK. Yes. You're marvelous. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's- and he'd like two tickets to tonight's game. He'll he'll be down. You've <laughs> got ten minutes to stop. Have fun in Vegas. I will. I am. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Not happening. Probably is happening. David would be breaking down <laughs> NBA stats, so don't do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be sitting at a big screen with seven games going on going, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, David, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. See you guys. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. It's the Jazz and the Celtics tonight, 7 o'clock. Jazz last home game before they head out on the road. Coming up next, Mark Madsen, UBU with a big win. They take down BYU, but that's not their 
only good win so far. It's their best win, but they've had some other good ones, and we'll talk with him next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The new zone lineup is here. With the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6. Live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. This week's Raider game against the Washington football team is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders. It's time to welcome in UVU men's basketball coach, Mark Madsen. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Mark, good morning. What's going on, guys? How you doing? We're doing well. Probably not as well as you, given the game that uh, your Wolverines just won. And I'm, I'm curious, once upon a time, your Laker team got a big win and your dancing skills were on full display. Was this a dance-worthy victory, or it's way too early in the season to break that stuff out? <laughs> well, it brings back some good memories from L.A., but, but it, it, it's too early to break that out. I was proud of our players. <clears throat> I was really proud of our guys. They they played a great game. Um, BYU has a tremendous team. BYU is extremely well coached with Coach Pope. But, uh, you know, Fardaz had a huge game, you know, about 24 points, 22 rebounds. Um, Justin Harmon came into the game and, and, and just really impacted not only the defensive end, but, but offensively. And so I was proud of our players. Um, Lots of work to do, but, but, but for that one night, it was, it was a really good night. It's funny that DJ asked you that question about dancing because as I've watched your team since you've been there these few years, I think probably the most disheartening loss, heartbreaking loss, was at New Mexico State. They threw in a bank shot, I think, at the end there. And then I watched, obviously, the other night, and that's probably your best win. But as I watched you on the sideline, I didn't really notice a lot of difference. You went down the line, shook hands. You had the same expression from the New Mexico State loss versus the BYU win. How important is that to set the tone for I'm sure you got crazier in the locker room, but publicly to set the tone for the team that this is what we expect. Well, you know, when it comes down to it, 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 was, it was absolutely a great win for the program, for the school, um, and, and for the players. Um, conference play is the most important thing for us. Conference play, the, the conference tournament, and, and then hopefully getting that NCAA bid, um, which, you know, has been the goal, really, of every coach at UVU, and it hasn't happened yet, but we're doing everything we can to, to help, you know, to help build to, to get it there. But, you know, that, that New Mexico State lost two years ago, that, that was a tough one because they, they hadn't lost in their building in, t- in 20 years. And, uh, you know, they, they had to throw one off the glass to, to beat us. But, but I think that showed glimpses of, of what was to come for UVU basketball. So you mentioned conference is the most important thing. The conference is, like a lot of conferences, evolving. Um, 
Cal Baptist, Grand Canyon, Seattle, and Utah Valley, all 7-1. and one. So, yes, everyone talks about the NCAA tournament, and yes, you absolutely want to get there. It, it looks pretty deep across the top of the conference right now, and I didn't even mention New Mexico State yet, and they're 5-2. and two. It's not like their team looks terrible out of the gate. <laughs> Our conference this year is incredibly tough. You mentioned Cal Baptist. Cal Baptist has a point guard that I coached at – a, an event with the NBA basketball without borders four years ago when I was in the NBA. And I said to myself, this kid is unbelievable. Well, now he's at Cal Baptist. He turned down multiple Pac-12 offers um, to go to Cal Baptist. Now, it helps that his brother was on the team. They're both from Australia. But Cal Baptist has done a great job. Seattle's done a great job. Obviously, New Mexico State, Grand Canyon. And so conference play this year in the WAC is, is going to be extremely competitive. Um, adding in a few teams from Texas as well, which bring a totally different style of play. And so it, it, it's a tremendous conference, um, a lot of opportunities for, for the right team that can get hot at the right time. You mentioned Fardaz in his game. I mean, that's really uh, it's just incredible. But if you look at his stats this season, it's actually a little bit on par for the course. He's just putting up massive numbers. I mean, it's very, very impressive, obviously, and following up on what he did last year. My thought for you, you would know this since you exactly were that, is he an NBA player? Yes, he is. Yeah, Fardaz is an NBA player. Um, I said it after the game, and, and I, I've told people and, and different <clears throat> different people that have asked me about Fardaz, I believe that Fardaz is the most all-around skilled big man in the country. And what do I mean by that? Well, Fardaz in the BYU game was made two three-pointers. Uh, he was two for four from three. He had 22 rebounds. He, he takes care of the basketball. He, he can post up. He hit a mid-range jumper. So you, here you have a big man that can score it at all three levels, close to the basket, the free-throw line, the three-point shot, and, you know, in the NBA, everyone wants someone that's a, that's a great pick-and-roll defender. Well, Fardaz has developed that. Um, you know, we run NBA schematics and schemes for our pick-and-roll coverage, and he's embraced that. And so he will have done that now for two and a half years here at UVU. And so when he gets to the NBA, it's not going to be anything new for him. We've been working on it. We drill it. He knows exactly the teaching points which will be asked of him in the NBA. So what is the big hurdle for you guys? What do you have to do to get where you want to go and, and be a part of March Madness? I, I think one area that, that we've identified and, and we've seen some improvement, but we still have to improve more, is, is taking care of the basketball. We want to have games where we have 10 turnovers or less. You know, early on, we, we, we had some 20 turnover games, and th- that, that's not good for our team because we don't play at that frenetic high level of pace we're really any team you know and, and teams have 20 turnovers all the time but when you're playing at a high level for us and our personnel it should be around 10 turnovers a game maybe 10 to 12 have a few nights where it's less than 10 and so that, that is a focal point there's been a lot of improvement there and we continue to work towards that A lot of your guys are second chance guys you know they've been other places right we can go down the list and there's several of them how much is it uh, of them, these guys succeeding due to the fact that they just got a chance to play? You know, it's, it's funny in basketball. We go out and we recruit, and, and you'll be in a gym all day. You'll, 
you'll watch hundreds of players. And <clears throat> there are so many great basketball players out there. Um, there are great basketball players everywhere. My, my coach in Minnesota had a great line. He, he said, hey, if it weren't for t- second chances, most of us would be out of a job. And, and so sometimes, you know, you go somewhere or, or you start something and it doesn't work out. Um, you know, in basketball, sometimes you go to an initial school and it's, it's not what you thought it was going to be or, or you just want a different change. And so we, we have multiple guys, you know, in our, in our starting lineup, for example, we have uh, one, two, at least three guys off the top of my head that have been at other D1 institutions. Um, you know, we have, <clears throat> we have two other guys that have been at JUCOs, tr- transferred in from a JUCO to, to D1. And so the nice thing about it is that when a player comes in from another school, they've, they've been coached well, whether it's a junior college or another D1 school. They've, they already have multiple years of coaching under their belt, and so they come in a little bit more ready. So, Mark, we've had you on the show uh, several times, and I am curious, what do you know now that you didn't know the day you took the job? How have you changed and grown and, and figured stuff out? Well, I, I think the, what I do, the, the biggest thing I've learned is, you know, after every game, win or lose, I watch the tape. And when you watch the tape, you see a hundred things that your team did well, and, and you see a bunch of things that, that, that need improvement. You know, basketball is a game of mistakes. If you, if you miss half your shots in basketball, if you shoot, you know, 50% field goal percentage in basketball, you're, you're a really good player. You're a really good player if you can shoot over 50% um, field goal percentage. Meaning, ha- half the time, you're not making a shot. And so basketball is a game of mistakes, and it's the same thing on defense. There are very few, you know, completely perfect sets of possessions where the defense is perfect for five or six possessions in a row. And so you look at the areas that need improvement, and we try to really identify and drill down into those areas of basketball that we can control. You know, an example we talk about a lot is the free throw line box out we should always be able to control the free throw line box out so that we never give up um, offensive rebounds off of free throws. And we do that with communication, with good technique, with strength training. You, you know, when we have 15 to 20 areas that are completely controllable in the game of basketball, and we focus so much on improving in those areas, but it, it'll, it'll blow your mind. You know, in the NCAA tournament, people miss free throw line back box outs all the time, all the time. These are the best teams in the country. And so we really try to focus on the fundamentals and, and really drill down into those basic things that we can control and get a little bit better at the next bucket of things that, that are a little bit more difficult to control. You're a well-known guy for your NBA beyond the dance. I mean, you played in the NBA a number of years, and, and Shaq has spoken about you. So I'm watching the game the other night, right, and it's over, and, and you know, I expect the students to storm the floor, and they did all that, and that's great. And then I flick over to ESPN to, to, to get caught up, what's going on, and they have a little thing um, about your team, and then they come back a little bit later when they, they have some more film, and everybody loves the, you know, the students run it out on the floor. I'm just wondering, uh, like a little bit of a two-parter, uh, how many guys did you hear from, whether text message or whatever, and then just what does this does to the what does this do for the profile of the program? 
Well, you know, it was a big win. It was a big win for our program. It was a big win for, for our players. You know, look, we have a few guys that, that transferred over from BYU. And, you know, look, we, we have guys that have left our school to go to BYU and, and really a lot of different schools. And so it was meaningful for our players uh, to get that win. You know, after the game, I probably got 150 text messages just, you know, from friends, coaches, players. And, uh, you know, I'm still kind of responding to all of them. But in terms of, of what it can do for, for a program, for a team, it's, it's big because it shows you that you have the confidence to knock off a team that's ranked in the top 25. You know, BYU is absolutely a top 25 team. I think they were ranked 12th at the time, and they, they, they have a tremendous team. They, they have a great coach and a great coaching staff. But, but it was meaningful for, for our players in that sense. And then from a bigger perspective, I, I think it, it, it just continues to show people what's happening at, at UVU as a university. You know, one of the things I've been impressed with at UVU is the academics because I see how hard our players work. I've met a lot of professors. I've been in class with uh, some professors while they teach. And I can tell you this. UVU doesn't take a backseat to anybody in terms of academics. And, and I think that people know that, but I think that each year that passes, the UVU story becomes more and more compelling as a place where students can come and, and just have a tremendous college experience in the classroom, in the community, and just the friends and relationships that they'll, that they'll make and meet. What is your stance on overtime games? Have you had about enough of them, or are you kind of getting comfortable with them now four times in six games? Uh, at least two of those games, we, we could have won in regulation. And so, uh, hey, if we could win in regulation, let's do it. But uh, it was funny. Before the game, um, some of the coaches and players were talking, and they said, hey, don't let this game go to overtime. Because if it goes to overtime, we're going to go ahead and win it. Um, Blaze Neald at Long Beach State completely took over the game at Long Beach State. He helped us get to overtime, and then in overtime, he played at a high level. Connor Harding versus Pepperdine nailed the last second three um, to send the game to overtime, and then to begin overtime, he, he nails another three. And so we've really had some great player performances um, that, that have helped us in those. The atmosphere was incredible. I'm not sure if – you would have beat, say, fill-in-the-blank 12th-ranked team in the country if the atmosphere would have been as good. It would have been just as impressive. But I'm talking about the atmosphere and the attention and all this. To me, this screams that the in-state schools have got to play each other frequently. Play Everybody play each other. Uh, what do you think about that? Because I think that we're, we're here talking about it because it was the in-state game and the scene was just incredible because there's just more emotion and passion and interest from everybody when our in-state teams play each other. It's, it's so important to have these games, uh, you know, just for the game of basketball, if nothing else. Look, when I first took the job at UVU, I called one of my mentors, Johnny Dawkins, who's um, the head coach at Central Florida. I was an assistant under him at Stanford. And he said, when you t you're taking over a program as a first-time head coach, the three things that are most important to you are recruiting, staffing, and scheduling. Okay, so recruiting and staffing, that's obvious. Scheduling is something I, I didn't fully grasp 
before really being in the head coach's chair in college. You know, a college coach is judged on the number of wins they get. And so there's this very nuanced, you know, dance that happens every year when teams try to schedule each other because you look at the other team and you say, how good are they? You, you want to play really good teams, but you don't want to play Duke 10 times because then that's going to hurt your, hurt your uh, win-loss record. But when it's all said and done, there are some things that supersede that. You know, no matter what the rankings show, you know, I do think it's extremely important for the state of Utah to have these games because Utah is a basketball state. I mean, in the NBA, you know, a lot of people in Utah love the Jazz, and there's a passion there. Look, there's a passion for University of Utah sports, for BYU sports, for UVU sports. And so here you have all these passionate fan bases, Utah State. I mean, I, I could go through the whole list. And when we have the in-state games, there's so much emotion. It creates such a great environment that, that we're going to make it a priority to try to schedule as many in-state games in Utah every year that we can. Well, congratulations on the win and congratulations on the start. And you got another in-state game coming up Wednesday, December 8th. This coming Wednesday, you're going to be at SUU, a trip to Cedar City on the way. So we'll, uh, we'll follow how you do all year, Mark, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you later this season. Sounds great. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Have a great day. Mark Matson, UVU men's basketball coach after a 7-1 start with four overtime wins. Pepperdine, Long Beach State, Denver, and now BYU. So, piling up the W's. DJ and PK, we're going to talk with Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network football analyst, about Oregon and Utah. They're playing tonight in Vegas. PK's in Vegas, and we'll get to that next. Stay with us. For Kyle Whittingham and the Utes, it all comes down to this. It's the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas as the Utes look to claim their first ever Pac-12 title. The Zone Sports Network will be in Las Vegas with nonstop blowout-the-budget coverage of the Utes as they battle Oregon for a spot in the Rose Bowl. Your home for the best coverage of the Utes in the Pac-12 championship game is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Purchase Ford Fan Zone all-you-can-eat ticket to an upcoming jazz game and receive unlimited hot dogs, soda, popcorn, nachos, and ice cream, starting as low as $30 per ticket. Visit utahjazz.com or call 325-2999 to buy your Ford Fan Zone all-you-can-eat tickets now. Yogi Roth is going to join us here in a few minutes. We've got the question up. Will the Utes and Aggies capture conference titles this weekend? Utah tonight, ABC 6 o'clock. The Aggies in San Diego State tomorrow at 1 on Fox. 34% of the people, PK, are on board. Both are going to win. Another 30% believe in the Utes, but not the Aggies. 18% believe okay, in the Aggies, but not the Utes. And 18% think it's a weekend full of disappointment. The Utes will lose tonight, and Utah State will fall on Saturday. Mm, okay, possibly. I mean, we'll just have to find out and see. I just think it's, I think it's going to be very difficult for the, for the Aggies. They're just getting started. Uh, Utah is in full bloom. They're not just getting started. But even with that, you don't know what's ahead. And so this is your third and fourth years. In my mind, it's your third in a row because last year really didn't count. Uh, and 
this is your best opportunity. We all agree on that. But can I guarantee that you're going to be knocking on the door next year? I can't. It looks promising, but I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you look at the Sun Devils, all right? I said that they got in a good start when they joined the conference. In 80, 80, I think it was 81 and 82, they were right there, just had to win the game. And in, that, in those days, you didn't have a conference final, right? It was just based on the regular season. And they came down to the last game. Oh, my gosh, it was such heartbreak. They couldn't get it done. They finished second in 81-82. Then they finally get it done in 86. Then between 86 and 96, they're not, they're not anywhere near it. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. Then they get it done in 96, right? Well, guess what happens? They're not anywhere near it again. <laughs> it just... You just don't know what's going to happen. It it can look good, and it does look good for Utah, and they should be back next year. But I can't guarantee it. Crazy things can happen. Football is a crazy game, injuries and so forth. So you really, really got to take advantage of this. To me, if they both lose, Utah State says, what a season. Utah says, what a disappointment, (laughs) right? The result can be the same thing, but the disappointment is going to be far greater over here than it is over there. It is hard for me. It is hard for me sitting here right now to concoct eh? any kind of scenario where the Utes lose the game and don't come away bitterly disappointed. Right. Right, uh, yeah. the, the Aggies, you can try to whip something up. And when they walk off the field, they'll be down. Oh, easily. But, easily. But, but when you step back and you gain perspective, I don't know that yeah. the Utes are going to gain perspective. I don't know that Utes fans are going to gain perspective. There is no perspective. perspective to be gained. They're in it for the third time no. in four years. The team looks really good. They just whipped Oregon two weeks ago. I don't right. think anyone really expects that again. Sports is crazy. It could happen. But get the win. By one point, it's like you said earlier, I, I concocted yeah. a, a theory, and you're like, well, yeah, if that happens, that'd be great. But if they kick a 50-yard field goal on the last play, that'd be great, too, as long as they win. It's, there's all the details at this point in the season, at this point in the program, they just kind of melt away. It's did you win or did you lose? And if they win, you fans are going to be so happy, and if they lose, they are going to be so disappointed. Yeah, especially because they just beat the guys yeah. two weeks in a row. I mean, the, the Ags haven't played the Aztecs, right. right? They did not play, unless I'm wrong. So this is the first time. And that's a freaking 11-1 and team. My gosh. They've been ranked all year. They beat two Pac-12 teams. One's barely a Pac-12 team. But the Utes have won the freaking the division and probably going to win the conference. So that's, that's a really good team over there. I mean, that's and they've been a really good team now for a number of years. Uh, it's just, those are facts, right? So there really is no shame in losing to San Diego State in this situation where there is just a ton of shame <laughs> in losing to Oregon. This is the most important football game that this program has ever played under all these circumstances. Yeah, I think they're going to get it done, but I can understand the hardcore. I've never really been in that situation to be a hardcore fan. But I can understand those because I've got a lot of friends. I just was texting with a friend who's in St. George right now on his way over, a longtime Ute fan, whole family. He's got 14 family members going to the game tonight, man. Awesome. I don't even want to see him if the Utes lose. (laughs) I'm going to be. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) I'm going to be so disappointed for him. But if they win, if they win on the field, you can watch it. I'm giving Kyle a full frontal hug. Ew. 
Does he want that? What do you mean, ooh? Yes, I do. He wants that. Because that would mean they won. (laughs) (laughs) That would be the only reason he would want that. Get off of me. No, no, no. No, no. The first year when they beat BYU, and I'm still working for the Watchdog, so i got to be this hard, fast-tested, tried, true journalist, right? I'm, oh, we always go uh, on the west sidelines, all the media, right? Because you come down from the press box. That's where you stand, right? And I can remember, and they were down in the north end zone. They win the ball game. And he turns around, and he sees me, PK. And he puts out his arms as to give a hug. And I thought... Oh, I can't do this, man. No. I'm in newspapers. You, you're not supposed to do this. But I did stick out my hand. I thought it's okay to shake, right? And I've sh- I've done that plenty of times over the years. Big coach, big wins for coaches. I'm fine with that. Hug was over the line. What's well, no longer over the line. In fact, I am going to, if the Utes win this game, people have your cell phones ready because I am going to be Steve Clark to Jeff Grimes <laughs> in Wisconsin. <laughs> Right now, I'm leaping into his arms. Right now, Mark Harlan is doubling security, possibly tripling security. Nobody gets there. There's way nothing now. he can do. I, I'm allowed to be on the field in that situation. I am gonna go. I'm gonna leap into his arms. A minimum of 20 yards away. All right. When we come back, Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network football analyst. Who's gonna win, Utes or Ducks? We'll get his prediction next. Stay with us.